0: Thank you.
1: Bienvenidos a otro episode de Don't Sue Me Bro podcast. What's going on? I'm your host, Brandon Harper. Today is Sunday, February 18th, 2024. The price of Bitcoin is hovering right around $52,000 and it is like 68 degrees where I am in sunny South Texas. Clear blue skies, no wind, and no lawnmowers. So as of right now, we are lawnmower free, which normally I think neighbors spy on me and they say, oh, oh, he's doing the thing with his headphones and microphone. So go turn on all the lawnmowers instantly. And they're not doing that. So I feel kind of lucky. Thanks for choosing to listen to my little old podcast. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. So I come here about once every week or two to get them off my chest. Some you'll agree with, others you won't, and I am perfectly okay with that. But if there's one thing I know about the world, it'd be a better place if we could all disagree without being so dang disagreeable. And so that's why I come here. I come here to give you my opinion and you don't have to have the same opinion. In fact, I hope you have some of your own varying opinions. If there's one thing you need to know about me, it's that I don't do pre recorded intros and I always try to sell hammocks at worldsbesthammocks.com. Literally the best hammocks in the world. Where else can you get the world's best anything for a few hundred bucks? Sit back, relax, and give me the gavel in the courtroom for about the next hour or so. what's going on everybody this this is my kind of february man it is clear blue the sun is shining the birds be chirping it's just another sunday around here i've been working on old barney my old truck it's a 1977 ford got the new radiator put in it got the fan relay hooked up so it's got this really cool feature that like senses the temperature And it knows when to turn the fans on, whereas the old way, you had to have a switch and turn it on your own self. But we're moving on up here in Acosta de Harper. And the new radiator got a fan relay. My buddy uh, who's helping me work on the truck, actually, I say helping. He's doing 95% of the work. And his name is Dean. And Dean comes over every Sunday. We work on the truck for about three to four hours. And we put the new radiator in it. We connected all the hoses. We hooked up the fans. We got it all going. Started it, ran it, everything was great. We shut it off, we went and got a beer. We came back and it was leaking antifreeze from the brand new radiator. We both about how to fit. So we decided to sit there for a minute and kind of let everything cool off. We drained all the antifreeze out because otherwise it would have just drained on the ground. Then we filled it back up with water. We started it and ran the truck, no leak. So apparently the leak magically went away. I'm sure it'll come back. But at least for now, we're going to move on to the breaks. So we're just making our way through the old Barney project, just pumping money into it like i got an unlimited supply, which is not the truth. As a matter of fact, I'm making less money now than I did my first year out of college. And I, I like to remind people that, you know, when they're like, oh, you have a brewery? You're probably just making money hand over fist. Or, you know, every time someone sees our logo somewhere, they're like, oh, you guys are crushing it. That's our favorite line when people are like, you guys are just crushing it. You guys are crushing it. And then I, I proceed to tell them, mm, it's a lot harder than it looks these days. The The environment for small businesses is just getting tighter and tighter, and they're getting more regulations, and the, and the insurance is going up, and the taxes are going up, and everything's going up, brisket's going up. And every time you turn around, everybody wants more money. And then as a small business owner, you just hope that at the end of the month there's enough money left for you to get a paycheck because if there's not enough money left guess who doesn't get a paycheck not the insurance company not the employees not the vendors but you the owners and people don't understand this and i i encourage people that if you are if you are not an eternal optimist if you don't like working your fingers to the bone never ever ever go into business for yourself because it's not it's not for the faint of heart you know it's not for people who don't handle volatility in their checking account. It's not for people who don't like the unknown of whether or not they're going to have a paycheck. And the sooner you can identify that about yourself, the better off you'll be. Take, take for example, right? We're renewing our insurance policy for beer land. And not much has changed. You know, our revenue's gone up by a little bit, maybe 30% over last year. So from 2022 to 2023, guess how much our insurance policy went up? Nope. Nope. Higher. Guess again. No, no. Even higher. Guess again. Well, I'll just tell you 70%. So our insurance policy went up 70%, almost double. Okay. Then this year we go to renew our policy. We send it off to the broker, which you know, insurance is just such a scam. It's such a scam. You got these brokers. They don't even know your name unless you've been doing business with them for 30 years. And so they, they put it out there. They get quotes on insurance companies. So we contacted our broker. He was kind of slow in getting his quotes. So we went with another broker. We said, hey, we need to get some quotes on our policy. They said, okay, we're going to put it out to market. We're going to get 17 different insurance companies to quote it. I said, perfect. Sounds competitive. So then they come back to us about three weeks later and they say, okay, well, um, as of right now, of all the 17 people that we sent it out to or that um, looked at it, only one company is willing to underwrite the policy. And I immediately said, whoa, whoa, time out. We've never had a workman's comp claim. We've never had somebody injured on the job. We've never had a wreck. Our drivers have never had a traffic ticket. We've never had to make a claim on bad product. We have never... Ask the insurance company for a dime. Why, why is no one quoting the policy? Well, we don't know. Okay, so what's it going to cost? Well, we don't know. We got to get back to you. Okay, so fast forward like another week. They get back to us. A 50% increase over last year, right? Nothing changed. We added one van. We added one van and a little bit of extra revenue, 50%. So now our policy has almost tripled. In two years. And these are the kinds of things that the people who, who when they see your sign at a wall at a bar and they say, You guys are crushing it, they don't understand that your insurance policy is tripled. You think my pay's tripled? No. I went two and a half years without even taking a paycheck. Up, oh, up, oh, they're mowing the grass. I knew it. I knew it. Somebody was watching me. They're over there cutting the grass. So anyway, so then they then they say, Okay, well, Um, They're not going to let you pay it out per month. You're going to have to pay 25% down. So keep in mind our insurance policy is like, I don't know, $44,000 now. And like, we need to collect a check for $12,000. Like, oh my gosh. Like you think that these little teeny tiny companies just can just scratch a check for $12,000 at the drop of a hat. Well, they're not, they don't care. They're not concerned about that. And so I don't know. I'm kind of ranting, but I want people to understand how difficult that the small business environment is, and it's for no other reason other than these highly regulated industries, that you have to have insurance because of this, because you could get sued because of that, and you have to have this, and you have to pay a personal property tax, and you have to pay a franchise tax, and you gotta pay an income tax, you gotta pay an excise tax, you gotta pay sales tax, and, and, and maybe there'll be a little bit left for you owners. The guys who took all the risk, the guys who took their life savings, and they said, you know what? I've got an idea. I'm going to see if I can cash out all of my assets and then take that and then go to the bank and pitch them an idea and say, hey, guys, here's my idea. Here's my life savings. Can I borrow some money? And they go, sure. But just so you know, when the interest rates go up in the market, you're going to have to pay more interest because we don't have faith that that you'll make it. And we don't want to subsidize you with a low interest rate. Okay, that's fine. If that's what we have to do, we'll do it. So then you get locked into a loan. Then what happens? Then COVID comes and they're like, oh, we have to print money so that, so that we can print money and just give it money to everyone. All right? Oh, and then, and then what do you know? Well, interest rates are now double, okay? So when we started our business, our interest rate was like 7.5%. Because we were considered a risky. It was, it was considered risky. It was a startup business. No one knew anything about the business. So they say, we're, we're going to need a high interest rate. We need 7.5%. Seven, seven okay, if that's what it takes, we'll do it. So we signed on the line. Fast forward through COVID when they just turned on the money, money printer. And they said, here's money for you, money for you. Everyone gets free money, free money. Well, then what happens? Well, then they think to themselves, okay, um, inflation's too high now. So we have to slow down spending. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to just turn up the interest rates, okay, And who's going to pay for it? Well, these small businesses that have locked that don't have locked in interest rates, they're going to have to pay for it. Okay. So what's happened? So our loan <laughs> for the brewery, the payment has almost doubled since 2020, and that's only because interest rates have gone from seven and a half percent. I'm not joking when I tell you what it's gone up to seven and a half percent to like 14 and a quarter. Fourteen point two five percent interest is what we're paying now, and and guess what else? Things like oh, your air conditioners broke. Oh, you have a triple net lease. Now you have to pay for your air conditioners. Okay, how much are air conditioners? Fifty eight thousand dollars. Okay, well we got to have air conditioners. So then what do we do? We go tell the landlords, hey landlords, we don't have fifty eight thousand dollars, and they go, well lucky for you we do and we'll loan you the money. So the landlord graciously gives us a loan at 8% for $58,000. And now that's on a payment plan. And this is how small businesses spiral in, into the, the gutter and they die. I'm not complaining. Well, I kind of, I'm kind of ranting a little bit, but I'm not, you know, I signed up for all this and, you know, now now I'm lying in my bed. And if all goes well, we'll pull through and we'll be fine. But that is why you have to be an eternal optimist. You you can't have a negative outlook or you will fail. Your business will die. And sometimes there's nothing you could have done different. Sometimes you give it your all, you push, you try, you stay up all night, you grind, you sleep at work, you don't take a day off, and the business still fails. And, and so because of, because of all these things that we've done to make it so difficult for small businesses, I, I'm, I'm not happy... When I hear things like insurance companies come back and they say, uh, your premiums, your policy is going up by 50% this year." But our, our revenue didn't go up by 50%. Now, but your policy is, you know, and you have these things that are out of your control. It's very frustrating for for people like me. These are just some insights. You know a lot some people who listen maybe they don't understand what it's like to run a small business. But as soon as you get ahead, Someone's coming with their hand out. They want like little baby birds in a nest with their beaks just wide open. And when the mama comes, mama's got to give them all some. And what's most frustrating to me is that the people who are posted up in Austin, Texas, and Washington, D.C., they're making these rules. They're making regulations. And these regulations affect small businesses. But, you know, they wouldn't know any better because they've never run a small business or a large business, for that matter. And that's why I think that in order to, to pass regulations that, that affect small business, you've got to have some kind of experience. Now, I understand that you got to draw a line somewhere, right? You, you can't have a government that only makes regulations if each individual member of the government has worked in that industry. So I get that that's probably not feasible, but they should have some kind of boards or committees, and I understand they probably do, but they're not doing a good job with it. That's my whole point. And I also have somewhat of an extreme viewpoint on this, and I know a lot of people don't understand it, and they think that I'm crazy. But let me just explain to you how how I think things should be, or how I think things would be better with fewer regulations. If you step back and you look at the economy of the United States, going back to oh whenever it started the 1500s and you you look and you see okay when when were the people most prosperous when did they have the biggest jump in standard of living well that that's that's kind of up for debate but in my opinion it's somewhere around the early 1900s you know 1900 to 1920 1930 maybe that 30 year window and i understand that that's the the great depression was in there and all that but if you look at it that's because Times were booming. Technology was happening. Factories were being built. And there wasn't regulations to deal with these things. There, they, they were kind of unregulated in a territory that was kind of like the Wild West. And for, but for this point to make sense, we have to all agree that a less regulated society puts more freedoms in the hand of the people and allows them to conduct business more freely. And that is more profitable. There There's no denying that. If we can't agree on that, then you might as well just turn off this podcast right now. Now, the the line that we have to draw is, well, obviously, we can't just let it be the Wild West and not have any rules, Brendan. Right. I know. We can't have that. And we also can't have a communist setup where nobody owns anything and the government owns everything. So we have to draw the line somewhere between those two. And as time went on, people in Washington, D.C. started making rules for people that you know, typically wasn't them. It was other people they're making rules for. And they started making regulations and they did things like, we have to subsidize the farmers. Okay, why do we have to subsidize the farmers? Because they need to make more money. We need to keep prices down for people who live here. Okay, let's dissect that a little bit. Because once you start these subsidies, they can't stop, right? Imagine going to these, now these huge farming conglomerates that used to be little mom and pop operations and saying, oh, um. by the way, all that free money that, that y'all were getting every year, we're going to stop that um, next week. Yeah, that's not going to work because you're going to lose lots of voters if you do that. But let's look at it from a perspective of, okay, let's just say that we did end the subsidies, right? What would happen? Well, the price of things that are being subsidized would go up, right? Yep, of course. Okay, so where the money that the government gives to the farmers in order to subsidize them, in order to give them free money, so that they can still be profitable and keeps the price of goods down in the U.S. Because remember, if they didn't do that, we would just buy corn from China, and it would be cheaper. And that what would happen to the corn farmers in the U.S.? They would probably go away. So that's that's when you start you know, ca- calling me a globalist or whatever you want to. But So the, the corn farmers would go away, but what would happen with the price of corn? Well, if China couldn't supply us with all the corn that we needed, the price of corn would go up here in the U.S., okay? Remember, the government was taking tax dollars from us, me and you, the people who work our asses off for our money. They take it from us, and they give a little bit to the farmers, okay? Now, think about what has to happen for that money to get collected, get processed, and get distributed. All that takes time, energy, labor, resources, money. So it costs money to move that money around. Now, think about it like this. What if we just paid the higher price? So instead of me and you giving the money to the government and then letting the government give the money to the farmers, we just paid a little bit more for our farmed products and our taxes went down. It's still the same amount of money out of pocket. And you end up coming out ahead because you don't have the inefficiency of the government processing all these this money and collecting these taxes and all these forms that have to be filled out and all these applications that have to be made by the farmers and all these audits and all these things that cost money along the way, you cut that out. So you're just cutting out the middleman by doing away with farm subsidies and letting the people pay the higher price. Now, it's hard for people to grasp that, but it's simple, simple math. And to me, it makes perfect sense. And giving the people the ability to decide like, okay, okay. Do I want to spend my money and pay for a higher product that's made in the U.S.? Or do I want to spend less and buy something that's made in China? Giving them that freedom is better. Because remember, I mean, if we can all agree that freedom is better than no freedoms, then it's better. Now they have a choice. They can vote with their dollars. And I think it was in the 1940s or 50s that China proved that this whole theory was right. So Mao Zedong or whatever his name was, Mao Zedong, whatever, I can never remember his name, but Mao, that's all I know him as, Mao came in and said, oh, we're going to make China communist, and we will take everything from the people and give to the people. All right? So they, they tried that. It failed. It didn't work out. So then Xi Jinping, senior, whatever generation he was, showed up, and he's like, you know what? Time out. Well, hold on. Let me explain This is an interesting fact. So Mao took over the economy. He said, we're going to be socialist. We're going to give you everything you need. All of you farmers, you have to provide us with this many carrots or potatoes or whatever you farm per week, per month, or whatever given amount of time. So these farmers would produce the minimum required. Then they would just sit around. They have a bunch of land that wasn't being used because they said, well, the government told us to make this much. We're just going to make this much. Well, once they realized how poor they were and that this was not working out, they started selling their pro They, they would overfarm what they were told to farm. And they would sell their products in their own little markets, in their own towns, in their own villages. And it didn't take long for everyone to realize, well, yo, time out. These guys are making lots of money because they're selling products that they're not using. And so that's what the, the light bulb went on, or went off, whatever you want to say. The light bulb, bing. And so the leaders of China then said, wait a minute. Maybe it's better if we let the people farm their own products. And so they went capitalist. This is when Ping Sr., whatever, first generation, Xi Jinping, and it worked. The Chinese economy started thriving. They rocketed to the top of the largest GDPs in the world, and their standard of living improved dramatically. In my opinion, the only thing we need to look at is what percentage of your take-home pay or what percentage of your gross income right, is discretionary, meaning you can do whatever you want to with it. You can buy cigarettes, you can buy a house, you can buy whatever. But the highest percentage of your income should be discretionary. And I think the U.S. is up there. I don't I don't honestly know if we're number one. If we're not, we should be. We should figure out how to be number one. And it's absolutely mind-boggling that these people like Bernie Sanders and, and AOC, the former coffee shop barista, think that we should have a social democracy. And I just wonder... How many times do you people need to see socialism fail? And then they're always, their classic response is, well, if we were like the Nordic countries, like Norway and Sweden and Denmark, then then it would be better. Okay, well, the discretionary income is 27% higher in the U.S. than Denmark. That means we can can do whatever we want to with 27% more of our money. Now, yes, that may require buying health care. But which is better? Which would you rather have? Someone take 27% of your money and you have health care, or you keep the 27% of your money and decide whether or not you have health care, how much you want to spend on health care, what is the most important policy for you? Which would you rather have? Now, I get it. The, the kind of people who would rather give up their money and have be told what kind of health care they have to have, are the same kind of people who say they should take more. um, I like it when they take more from my paycheck because that way I get more back at the end of the year. And I just, I want to bash my head on a wall because that, you know what? That's something that you you can say until you're about 22. After that, when you're working and you're establishing a career, you should understand the importance of being able to take home your money, invest it or save it, and then hand it over at the end of the year. If you don't have enough discipline for that, if you're in your mid-20s, and you don't have enough discipline to do that. I'm sorry to say it, and this is going to offend some people, but your parents failed you. They did you a disservice by not teaching you how money works. And it's highly likely that the parents didn't know that either. And that's something that is kind of near and dear to my heart, that we, we don't teach kids about money. They don't know. Kids don't understand how money works. They don't know interest, the time value of money. They don't know the, that there's a cost to lending there's a cost to borrowing and a profit to lending. That we, no one teaches this stuff. My whole point. I'm going to move on. I just, I just went on a little tangent there. But my whole point is that we don't need to go towards socialism. We need to go away from socialism. We need to take away some regulations. We need to let the economy thrive in a capitalist environment, and the standard of living for everyone will go up. This is not a question of of if or maybe or probably. It will happen. We just got to get these slugs out of Washington, D.C. and replace them with people who have a clue what it's like to live in the real world and pay bills, etc. And Biden has done an amazing job by any measure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Moving along. Moving along to something else.
0: See, say, Quadway.
1: Have you guys seen this new AI that's been released? It's a video creation well open ai which is the same company that released the chat gpt ai interface where you could go ask it questions and create problems and it could solve it well now there's a new form of ai out that they released called like sora or soma or something like that if you you could just enter it in the google machine a uh, new ai video something 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 you'll find it you'll find it and what it is is you can, you have the ability to to prompt it to create a like a little short. Right now it's and it's you won't find the ability to do it, but you'll find examples of it. It just got released, and so Sam Altman, who's the CEO of OpenAI, was doing some demos, and he was saying, uh, "Tweet me whatever you want me to plug into this thing, and I'll plug in, and we'll see what happens." And so people were sending him little short descriptive paragraphs. Like one of them was. Show me um, a 93-year-old grandmother's birthday surrounded by her friends and family with silver-combed hair and a pink flower dress. And so it spits out this little, like, five-second video clip. There's no audio, but it's, like, exactly what the, the prompt told it to do. There was another one with, like, golden retriever puppies playing in the snow. And this is not cartoons. This is not, like, hand-drawn stuff. This is look, looks like it could be 4K video. You would see it, and you would think it's a video. And it's about to get wild. It's This election season, I feel like, is going to be filled with video clips. Well, maybe not yet, because it's still going to be early. I don't know when this will get released to the public. But there will need to be something to indicate that it's not real, because this will fool a lot of people. You know, there's been deep fakes going around where they'll cut and paste someone else's mouth on the president and make him say silly things. But this here, this is crazy. You you're going to be able to write your own movie, I feel like, within two years, year and a half, two years. It will be available to the public, and people will be writing short stories, movies, cartoons. It's going to be insane, and I'm here for it. i got a front row seat. And, and thinking back to my example about the early 1900s, when the economy was booming and the Industrial Revolution was kind of happening, you know, I kind of feel like we're, we're about to be in that same era but with artificial intelligence. And you're going to have people who are doing things to to make money or cause drama or cause problems or steal. There's going to be people using this to do things that we never thought was imaginable. So then we're going to go into, oh, we must create a bunch of regulation mode. And then they're going to throttle it back. But maybe not. You know, think about the internet, how fast it blew up and you know, they were, they were too slow to make regulations about the Internet. You know, I, I feel like if, if the government knew the Internet was coming, they would have really put in some regulations in place, right? Just like the, the TV over-the-air networks, it's run by the government, which blows my mind, right? The government's like, oh, you got freedom of press and freedom of speech. But you can't say that on the airwaves. But they were not able to do that with the Internet. And look how quickly... Well, I say, I say, relatively quickly, it is it has transformed a good chunk of the power away from these mainstream media conglomerates back to the hands of the people. And there's only like one or two apps that are responsible for that. The main one being X, my main man Elon's app. Did, y- <laughs> Did y'all see the other day? I don't, I don't know. Probably not. But on X, Elon posted. He, he said, "I love puppies." And then he, he posted a picture of like these five puppies running and something didn't look right. But if you kind of squinted your eyes a little bit, the colors would all, all run together. And it says, send nudes. And I, I thought that was so funny. Not because he's posting sin nudes, but because here you have the world's wealthiest man or number one, number two, running like five huge companies with a sense of humor. And it just dawned on me, like, Why? Why do these guys not have sense of humor? And I think it all boils down to they're scared. They're scared of the shareholders. They're scared of the board. They're scared of losing their golden parachute. So they're beholden to everyone. we got a guy like Elon who doesn't give a rip about what anyone thinks, and they know what they're getting, and most people respect him for that. And I kind of think that more people should be like Elon. But going back to my point, it's taken people like Elon— to step in, well, actually, he's probably the first one, but he's paving the way for people to step in and say, hey, NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox News, CNN, you guys are no longer in control, right? The, the people's voice is just as loud and it's just as easy to hear. Think about in the 80s, you had information from like four sources, if you're lucky. And so it's not a matter of like all of a sudden the media started controlling the narrative, It's just a matter of all of a sudden we figured out that they were controlling the narrative. And they're terrified of this. They're mainly terrified because they're worried the power that they have acquired will be stripped away from them. And they will no longer be able to control the people and and control the power and the money. A perfect example of this is when old old Tucker went to Russia to interview Putin. And all, (laughs) all of the mainstream media goobers were like, Oh, uh, Tucker Carlson's just—he's nothing. He got fired three times, and um, and he's really not that important. But also, let's let's have a look at the questions he was asking Putin, and they all salivated over him getting the interview. If you ask me, I think that they're probably jealous or scared that they couldn't get it on their own. But every single idiot who was bashing Tucker Carlson was also breaking down the interview that he went and did. So that's a success by Tucker, if you ask me, it also proves that people don't like to be the ones that are not in control, especially when they've had companies that have been in control for 75 years. I mean, just imagine how much, you, how much money and power you could create if you had the ability to persuade the way that people thought and to, to control their sentiment. Based on what you think is best. And that pretty much wraps up the way that the left operates. They think that they that there's groups of people who should make the rules for everyone else. Well, the left and Dan Crenshaw.
0: I did not have sexual relations with that woman. They sure did. Miss Lewinsky. They sure did. I never told anybody to lie. Yes, sure not did. a single time. You old bastard. These allegations are false. And I need to go back to work for the American people. A few moments later. Indeed, I did have a relationship with Miss Lewinsky that was not appropriate. In fact, it was wrong. It constituted a critical lapse in judgment and a personal failure on my part, for which I am solely and completely responsible. I misled people, including even, even my wife.
1: Oh, yes you did, Slick Willie. Okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about old Dan Crenshaw now. I. I've, uh, I've spent a few years kind of bashing on him a little bit, kind of treat him like a piñata. But I feel like I owe my people some reasons as to why I don't like Dan Crenshaw. Well, there's a couple of reasons why I don't like him. I think that I think he's a snake. I think that he's an arrogant little prick who's been told by the people around him that he's so perfect and he can't do anything wrong. And that we'll just keep feeding him money to try to get him elected. As more than just a congressman, the freaking guy voted or, or come he came out and said that he would be in favor of red flag gun laws, which red flag gun law just means that for whatever reason, you can get some mark on your identification and you can't buy a gun. They don't have to give you any reason. They just got to red flag you. In some cases, there were people who were advocating that I could just go to the, the authorities and say, Hey, my neighbor over there, John. Uh, yeah, he can't have no gun. He's crazy. I seen him. He's out there chasing his wife. He's crazy. And then they, they, would, they would put him on the list based on what anyone said. And he said that he would be in favor of this. He also voted to tear down a bunch of old statues. You know, I think that he said something, oh, there's no place for the Confederacy in the, in the U.S. Capitol. And when he was confronted about it, I believe somebody asked him, they said, hey, why, did you, why were you the only Republican to vote with the Democrats to, to pass a bill that allows the removal of statues? And you know what his answer was? It was something along the lines of, "Oh well, I mean, a lot, a lot of those statues were the statues that they want too. So you know, if if I'm going to be for tearing down statues, it's going to be for statues of their heroes. You know, he doesn't have a backbone. He doesn't have principles. He doesn't stand on anything. What Dan Crenshaw is is a puppet for the establishment. Now you probably hear that word thrown around a lot: establishment, 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 establishment. Well. All that I'm meaning in this case is that there's a big group of political donors who kind of all band together. They control businesses, they control wealth, they have lots of power. And what they do is they'll hold a fundraiser and they'll raise a bunch of funds for you so you can get elected. Because, you know, we have to raise millions and millions of dollars for our campaign. So they'll help you with these fundraisers. They'll fund your election or your campaign. And then when you get elected, you have to pay them back in the form of policy. And so... They got their claws in little old Dan, and he just does whatever, he, whatever they want him to do. And this is a problem I have with politicians taking money from people is that they always expect something in return. Now, a question that I often think about is, okay, what if it's, what if it's an organization that you do believe in and that you stand behind and you, you respect what they're doing? should you take money from them? And that's a hard one because they may give you money so you can go win your little election. And then when you get elected, they may ask something of you that goes against the original terms of agreement. So it's a fine line. You know, you hear people talk about the quote unquote grassroots campaign. That's essentially running a campaign where all of your money comes from the people, the voters, and not PACs or political action committees, businesses, special interest groups, lobbyists, but it takes a lot more work. It's a lot harder to raise money from hundreds of thousands of people than it is one lobbyist. And I feel like we are on the verge of somebody hacking the system and just getting elected using guerrilla, guerrilla marketing, social media style, and I, I'm kind of I'm longing for that day, to be honest. Okay, here's some clips I'm going to play for you of arrogant boy Dan Crenshaw. Now, I want you to listen to his tone of voice, his inflection, the way that he's mocking people. And look, I uh, look, look. I get it. Trump kind of mocks people too. Not kind of. Trump mocks people too. And no, he's not the nicest guy in the world. But I, I, I cannot tell you why. But I feel like there's a different level of arrogance with Dan Crenshaw, and I don't know what that is. And I can't expect everyone to feel the way that I feel but i i know it's enough to to be accurate in my own mind i don't know i can't quite put my finger on the difference between the two but there's something about trump that i despise a little bit less don't get me wrong i'll never go back on my sentiment about trump as far as like looking up to him like i never i would never look up to the guy he's not accomplished things that i would do the way that i would do them i don't think he's a person that your kids should aspire to be like but if I was going to put someone in charge of the country to lead it, I would, I would put him. Mainly because he's just a fierce negotiator and he, from his bu- business dealings, he's, he's typically one. We cannot say the same thing about Dan Crenshaw. So here's Dan Crenshaw starting off t- telling us what the height of stupidity is. The height of stupidity, other Republicans, that they're just stupid. They're not as smart as he is and they, and they have two eyes and he doesn't.
0: Let's take a listen.
2: The height of stupidity is having a strong opinion on something you know nothing about. I'm I'm extremely disappointed in the very strange maneuvering.
1: You hear the way he says that? Strange maneuvering?
2: Strange maneuvering by many on the right to to, to torpedo uh, a potential border reform bill. If we have a bill that, on net, significantly decreases illegal immigration, and we sabotage that, that is is inconsistent with what we told our voters we would do. People
1: Okay, listen. What he's talking about is the border security bill that had 20 billion dollars for the border and 118 billion or whatever it was 60 billion I can't remember for the Ukraine, and how he's just he's just distraught and just befuddled that these silly, stupid Republicans won't vote for the bill. Why do you think that is? Why do you think Dan Crenshaw wants the border security bill passed so badly? Just so, so the border can be secure? No, no, no. That's not why. It's because his who do you think his donors are? Right. What's his background? Navy SEAL. Where does he know people? He knows people in the military. Does he know lots of people? Probably. He was in the military for a very, very long time. So what does he do? He connects the military with these big government military contractors and he helps work out deals and he he makes massages proposals and he does think tanks and, you know, all these things. To help the people who are writing his checks for his campaign. And he's going to smugly and arrogantly tell people that the height of stupidity is making rules about something you know nothing about, which, you know what, I would agree with, but there's just something about the way he says it.
2: we will make up whatever reasons they, they want to. There's a number of them, I'm sure. The number of would them, be I'm a, sure. A pretty unacceptable dereliction of, of your duty.
1: You gonna walk around here and tell us what an unacceptable dereliction of
2: our duty is? A number of them, I'm sure. A number of them, but it I'm would sure. Be a, a pretty unacceptable dereliction of of your duty.
1: Yeah, I don't. I'm out on Crenshaw. You may love him. You may think he's great. He's got one eye. He was hurt in war. That's fine. We can agree to disagree. Okay. Next clip, Dan Crenshaw. There's a little girl. He's at some sort of rally. There's a little girl asking him. Uh, she basically says at one point when you were on a podcast. You mentioned these characters, and I don't remember who they were, but one of them was Jesus Christ, and then he compared them to, the, 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 there was a group of real people and unreal people, and she's like, I'm kind of confused because you didn't include Jesus Christ in your list of real people. I know, it was a lot. Just just listen. It's kind of confusing, but listen, and then he goes off on her. How dare you question my faith, he says to like an 11-year-old girl.
2: Hero archetypes that we look up to. Jesus is a hero archetype. Superman is a hero archetype.
0: Real characters too. Too. I could name a thousand. Rosa Parks. Ronald Reagan.
2: and quote. I can't wrap my head around this.
3: You're all, I'll help you. Put a period
2: after okay. the Jesus and don't question my faith.
3: Wow. Okay, wow. guy <laughs> <laughs> You moron. What? What?
1: All right, I'm not gonna keep playing because the audio's bad, but you get the idea, right? Just the little girl may have been out of line. She may have been set up by her daddy to ask him a quote-unquote hard question, but man, you don't talk to a girl that way. Not a little child. You're a freaking Navy SEAL, and you only have one eye. You can't be talking to little kids that way. For my last example, one thing, one thing about Crenshaw. One thing he really likes. He likes online social media drama, right? He's filmed himself arguing with the United Airlines people or his wife arguing. He's always trying to expose people. Well, here's one. There's a guy named David Goggins who was some other Navy SEAL, some other podcast host or something. And you know what? The details don't even matter. But these two grown-ass men, they get into these beefs, these altercations online like 13-year-old girls. And there's part of me that I really... Really hope it's all a PR stunt. I hope it's all just to to create buzz and to get people talking about them because it, it's embarrassing. So here's Dan Crenshaw. He made a video, thirty-one minute video, ten months ago, released about the, the in response to David Goggins unhinged attacks on the Navy SEAL community. I mean. Who has 30 minutes to listen to this guy? I'm just going to jump around. I haven't even spent a lot of time listening to this, but I'm going to jump around. I want you to listen to his tone, listen to the way he says things, listen to what makes him frustrated, and and maybe you'll agree with me, maybe you won't. You know, I, I don't know. I'm okay either way.
3: But clearly what I'm saying here is, look, th- this guy's asking, what's the seal take on David Goggins? And I'm saying, David Goggins appears to do this this other kind of branding that is that is completely separate from the teams, right? That's all I'm saying. I don't know why that's so offensive, and I don't know why, and, and look, and that la- that last comment about you know what's tough and what isn't that really that really made David mad too. I'll show you his reaction to it. Um, you hear the smugness, the arrogance. I stand by that. Like if we're in a platoon, like we don't care about a guy who does like triathlons. It's not what we care about. We care about how he reacted to that comment and how he reacted to the guy that I'm talking about right there.:
1: And it was a little, even this clip. So now he's playing clips. I mean, it's hard to even watch this. It is hard. Here, here we go.:
3: um, I am talking about a dead guy because he killed himself last week. He <laughs> killed himself last week. He's a legend. And you don't even care about who
0: Happy to talk more. Good work out there, brothers. So let me say this again.
1: Twenty minutes in. Now we're showing videos of each other arguing about what they said to each other.
0: Thing. This whole motherfucking thing, dude. This is pathetic.
1: This is this is David Goggins talking in the air and Dan Crenshaw showing David Goggins talking. I mean, this is like this is like modern-day soap opera for men. That's, that's all this is.
0: This is an officer, bro. This is an officer. So do you think I had a good time in the SEAL teams? This Apparently is how not. it is. They talk out of one side of their mouth and then the other.
3: You're 30 minutes complaining about the SEAL teams generally and me. Um, I want to play you this clip. This is another reason I felt I had to do this Playing video.
1: more clips? 18
3: minutes right in. Here. Again, I don't really care what he says about me
0: you don't have it there
1: but i can't i can't take it he claims to be
3: super transparent here but he won't show these texts i'm going to show them to you let's see what he says about them first and then i'm going to show you the texts
1: like who freaking cares you know this is mind boggling this this is not who we need leading our government these are two little child actors (laughs) that are fighting for spotlight like i said i don't know i'm so out on crenshaw I'm so out on anyone who plays into this, this game of like criticize, making 30-minute videos to criticize somebody. I don't know, man. I know that's how YouTube's done, whatever. But we got a YouTuber, or we got a, a national leader, a, a, a Congress member. Which one is it? Like, Let's pick one or the other. Let's spend our time stripping away laws that help individual Americans, not posting videos to our YouTube feed. It's astounding, absolutely astounding. Here's how I would handle it, right? If I was Crenshaw and some other dude from some other Navy SEAL team was was quote-unquote talking crap or whatever, I would say, Who? Who is that? Huh. Never heard of him. I'm going back to work. And that would be it. That would be it. And you know what? That's probably why I'll never be one of these people because I don't have what it takes to play this game. I really, I do not have it. I don't. And that's all I'm going to say about old Dan Crenshaw. I, I bash him a lot, and I felt like I owed a little explanation. I think I've explained it once before. But anyway, there's the latest reasons why I don't like Dan Crenshaw.
0: We as black people, it's time. It's time for us to come together. It's time for us to rebuild a New Orleans, the one that should be a chocolate New Orleans. What does and that I don't mean? Care what people are saying uptown or wherever they are. This city will be chocolate at the end of the day.
1: What does that mean? I don't get it. Chocolate? Chocolate?
0: This city will be a majority African American city. Oh. It's the way God wants it to be. You can't have New Orleans no other way. It wouldn't be New Orleans.
1: So I don't know if like saying that they're chocolate people like could I get in trouble for that? Like is this another one of those words that they're that like black people are allowed to say but white people are not allowed to say? Is there any words that white people can say and black people can't say? I don't know, I'm just curious. But from now on maybe I'll I'll, I'll if I ever go through a a ghetto, I'll say, "Oh, looks like we're in another chocolate city." And we'll see how that works.
0: If you can make federal laws to protect the bird which is the bald eagle you can make fa- federal laws, laws to protect, to protect people, people of color. color.
1: Sorry white people no protection laws for you only people of color okay I'm going to complain a little bit you know what I hate? I hate drunk people I hate drunk people you know I don't mind buzzed people but I hate people that are too drunk to carry on a conversation and and I hate it when they're, they're getting even close to not carrying on a conversation I just don't I don't want to be around them. I don't want to smell their breath. I don't want to look at their eyes when they're all glazed over. And it's kind of weird because I operate an establishment that makes and sells beer. But I had to run a guy out last week. Wasted two hours of my time. This guy gets drunk at the bar. Well, showed up drunk. We figured out he was drunk. We stopped serving him. And then we're like, okay, you got to leave, dude. So he he stands up, but he couldn't walk. We had to usher him outside. Then we waited for We called him a cab. We waited for the cab. We try to put him in the cab. You know what he said? I'm not getting in the cab. They're trying to kill me. They're going to try to kill me. Dude, what? I was screaming at this guy. I was like, get in the cab right now. I'm not getting in the cab. I said, dude, if you don't get in the cab, we're calling the cops. He said, call the cops. I don't care. I said, at this point, do you realize you wasted like an hour of my time? Call the cops. I don't care. Okay. We Send the cab out. We call the cops. By this time, the guy can barely even stand up. He's literally holding himself up on the rail on the porch because if it weren't for that rail, he'd be laid out on the ground. Well, after about 15 minutes, we decided to drag him away from the rail and lay him out on the sidewalk. So we stretched him out on the sidewalk, and he laid there for about 45 minutes until the cops showed up, and he got a P.I., and they hauled him to jail. And you know what it made me think of? That Ron White clip.
0: I got thrown out of a bar in New York City. Now, when I say I got thrown out of a bar, I don't mean somebody asked me to leave. We walked to the door together, and I said, bye, everybody, I got to go. Six bouncers hurled me out of a nightclub like I was a Frisbee. Those big old bouncers that go home every night, watch Roadhouse and beat off. You know what I'm talking about? They hurled my ass. And then they squared off with me in the parking lot and I backed down from the fight because I don't know how many of them it would have taken to whip my ass. But I knew how many they were going to
1: use. What a classic bit. That's just a little piece of it, but you get the idea. So, yeah. You know, he, he got intoxicated. He got, he got charged with a public intoxication. And when, when it was going down, I just remembered Ron White talking about, I wasn't drunk in public. I was drunk in a bar and I got thrown into public, <laughs> which is exactly what happened to this guy. But knock on wood, you know, after almost five years of being in business, that's the only time that that's happened. When the cops finally showed up, I gave them their gift card. I like, you know, if the cops have to come out for any reason, whether someone slips and falls or something like that, I always like to give them a gift card, you know. Keep them coming back. Bring your friends. Tell your family. I just I just remember it as it was all going down. Man, I freaking hate drunk people. No, no nothing on. And
0: his, his parents,
2: parents still, still ain't showed up yet.
0: Why are you detaining me? You about to lose your job. You about to lose your job. Get this dance. You about to lose your job because you are detaining me
1: for oh, nothing. nothing. I got a question for you. Does anybody know why skin cancer rates are skyrocketing? Why are they going up very disproportionately? Is the sun becoming more intense? Is it because of
3: climate change?
1: Who knows? You know, go do your own research. Go, go poke it in the Google machine, skin cancer rates over the last 50 years. And you tell me, you tell me what they are, if they're acceptable or not. Maybe I'm just making all this up. You know, my goal is for everyone to Google everything that I say and fact check me. That's what I want. And undoubtedly, I'm sure I'm sure I'm wrong about some stuff, but go check it out. Tell me if you think skin cancer rates should be going up at the rate that they are. You know, the number of diagnoses. maybe it's because we're getting better at diagnosing the issue. Remember, once again, with no control and no variable, you have no science. All I'm saying is that maybe it's something in the stuff that we're putting on our skin to protect us from skin cancer. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, who knows? Maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist and my voice shouldn't be heard. Because I say such stupid, stupid things. Maybe it's because people are living longer. You know, who knows? I, I don't know, but I, I think we should maybe explore that. Maybe, maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's not. I mean, doesn't it seem logical that we look at countries where people live long, like Japan, and they don't have much cancer, and they don't have autism? Wouldn't it be smart to, like, look at them and say, hey, we're figuring out that this is causing autism, this is causing skin cancer, but we don't. Do you know why? Why, why don't we? Because there's no profit there. There's no, there's no money to be made by just simply telling people things. And that is one of the downfalls of capitalism, which, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's not worth it. I'm just saying I frequently think of the downsides to capitalism so that when I debate about socialism, I have an argument or or maybe I should say I'm prepared for what they might say but either way these are things that these are problems that need to be solved and it sucks that there's no there's no way for us to figure it out unless we spend a bunch of time and money and these are the types of things that I would be okay with the government funding because no one else is going to do it because there's no profit motive who do you think that the the people who make drugs do the people who make sunscreen care? Of course not. They're not going to go fund some study that's going to tell people that the sun doesn't cause cancer, that maybe their sunscreen does. No, of course not. And I don't expect them to. They're going to go through the exact policies and procedures that the FDA lays out and tells them to do. But it's worth noting that the autism is on the rise. It seems to be at a steady incline. Looking at a map here, the only places that it seems to be more prevalent or just as prevalent are places where there's lots of inbreeding. And that's the Middle East. Top 10 countries with the highest autism rates. Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Oman, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Jordan, Syria, Afghanistan, and Palestine. Those are the highest. What's the correlation? I don't know. I'm not a scientist.
2: So you don't don't know these folks then, is what you're saying?
0: I know two of them. I don't know the other two. They saying I drove a getaway car, but I'm legally blind, so how am I going to drive a car? I wonder where Donna Goodo
1: is today. That'd be cool to catch up with old Donna Goodo. She's probably still locked up. But she's going to be right back out in the streets, you dig? I'm
0: innocent.
2: I ain't do nothing. I don't know what's going on. All I know is my side of the story. I can't tell no other story. I'm innocent.
1: Okay, moving right along here. I'm going to touch on something. I don't think I'll spend a lot of time on it, but... I'm going to spend a little bit of time on it and I kind of I feel a little bit of an obligation to fill you guys in on some stuff that that was almost about to happen in my life but didn't it didn't almost happen it didn't it was it was looking like it might happen and then it didn't happen. And so I was looking at purchasing a business that rented out golf carts down in the tourist area. And so I got to digging in the numbers and and I had some other people that I trust more than myself look at it, and and I thought to myself, you know what, when it when it all didn't work out, I said I'm gonna I'm gonna take this to the people, and I'm gonna explain to them a little bit of insight into small businesses and how things work, and maybe a little misconception, right? When you have a friend or you know someone that owns a business, and they they go to the grocery store, and you know you get the grocery store together, you're going to buy some steaks to cook out. And, and uh, you know, you got a whole basket full of steaks and potatoes, and maybe you got some Brussels sprouts and some wine for the women's and some beer for the men's. And you go to pay for it, and the guy who owns the business just takes out his credit card and he pays for it. And his buddy's like, man, well, thanks. I appreciate that. Oh, it's all right. It's a tax write-off anyway. It's a tax write-off. And so I want to explain to you how that can can work out not in your favor. And I'm going to try to keep it simple because I like things simple. But what what ended up happening with this business was when I got into the the books I saw that well, first thing was he claims that he was receiving a bunch of cash but he didn't didn't run it through his books. And so instantly I have to discount that. I have to say, well, I'm not going to take your word for that. I don't I don't know if you're you're being honest. I don't know you. I don't know what your goals are, you could just lie and say that you're making extra X amount of money. And so I have to factor that in when I'm I'm looking at the the value of the business. And so between that and him running a bunch of personal stuff that that he claims was personal, but I really have no way of knowing, right? Because if a business owner runs personal expenses through his business, he's got to be able to explain that to someone who's looking to buy that business. So he he has to say like, well, a lot of this stuff that I bought was for my own personal use. And you don't have to do that. You know, if you buy the business, all that money can stay in the business. So it looks from an accounting perspective that the business does worse whenever you run your personal expenses through it. And yeah, sure, you pay less taxes, but the value is lower. And so if you have a business and you plan on keeping it forever, then sure, you can run all your personal expenses through it. But another problem with that is if you go to borrow some money or leverage the assets that you have and you go to the bank and you show them that you're you're buying things or your books don't show much of a profit, right? That's what a lot of small businesses' owners' goal is, is to write off all their expenses so their business looks like it didn't make any money. And if you don't make any money, then you don't pay any taxes. And that's what a lot of these people's goal is. The problem with that is when someone goes to buy your business or you go to borrow money for a loan, they look at your tax returns and it looks like you're not making money. So from a lender's perspective, they're going to say, I mean, you don't make much money. I'm probably not going to do this loan. If I do it, I'm going to need to charge you a higher interest rate. From someone who's looking at the business from a perspective of buying it, they're going to say, I mean, I'm not going to pay you what you're asking for. Your business doesn't make that much money. And so in my case, I looked at the numbers and I thought, well, if if he's being truthful, the business is worth about 60% less. No, sorry. It's worth about 60% of what he was asking for it. You know, a lot of people have pie-in-the-sky mentality when it comes to their business. They think it's worth a lot more than what it is. Listen, I had a, an appraisal done on, the, on Beerland. <laughs> it came back disappointing. I was extremely disappointed thinking, that's it? I put five years into this business with all my time and money and energy and that's all it's worth? Yes, that's it. Because we've only been in business for five years. There's there's some other reasons why it didn't meet my expectations. But my whole point is I couldn't pay him anywhere near what he was asking. Number one, because he ran a bunch of personal expenses through, which I don't know if they were really personal expenses. And number two, he claims he took in a bunch of cash that he didn't well, I have no way of knowing whether or not he took it in. All of that to say this, if you are a small business owner or you're friends with a small business owner, don't encourage them or don't write things off just to save money in taxes because it will end up biting you. I even talked to my accountant and I asked him, I said, hey, here's this business I'm thinking about buying. Here's what he's Here's what he's asking, and but here's what I'm worried about. And he told me this long story about one of his clients that built a business for his whole life, and and he ran all of his personal expenses through it. And then when it came time to sell it, the guy didn't he get, didn't get a fraction of what he would have gotten if he would have just kept the books on the up and up. So encourage your friends. If you're a small business owner, just keep. Your books separate. I know it's tempting. I know it's tempting to try to write everything off you possibly can. Now, if you own a bunch of rental properties and you just run through your personal name, I mean, I'm not advising anything, but I would understand if people did that. But if you're actually operating a business, just keep all the books separate. It it works out for the better. And I believe now is where I, I end the program. Now, I don't think many of you know this. But somewhere during the course of the show, I stopped it, and I picked back up the next day. So now it's actually Tuesday the 19th. I would encourage you to see if you can figure out when I changed it, when I stopped it and started back. What happened, I got interrupted yesterday. I had to stop for a long time. I didn't feel like coming back. So I'm back here today. It's now Tuesday. I sure do appreciate you listening to the Don't Sue Me Bro podcast with me, your host, Mr. Brandon Harper. I wish all of you the best week. I hope the weather is as beautiful for you as it is for me. I hope you've got all your taxes done. Don't forget to play with your dog. Teach your kids about money. Don't waste a bunch of time doing unnecessary things like grocery shopping. Find ways to be more efficient, like have your groceries delivered. Do some research about skin cancer. Check out on old Dan Crenshaw like I did. Go check out worldsbesthammocks.com. Spring's right on the corner. Buy yourself the world's greatest hammock for only a few hundred bucks. And whatever you do, don't be suing me, bro.
0: Lord, it's the same old tune, fiddle and guitar. Where do we take it from here? Rhinestone suits and new shiny car same way for you.